0: Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Who's excited for church? If uh, we have not met, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I. We started this crazy place called Bold five years ago. It's crazy how far we've come. And some of you, this is your first time in this building. Let me tell you, we used to be a portable church with two 25-foot trailers. We'd show up at 7 a.m. It was crazy. And we've only been in this building for six months, but we've been in existence for five years. And I just want to pause and just give God thank you for this building. Amen? It's unreal. Let me tell you. Last week we had, we celebrated with nine baptisms. It's crazy. It's crazy. You are in the middle of a move of God and you don't even realize it. And uh, let me just give you some opportunities to take next steps in, your, in our community next Sunday. Or today. Today we have a growth track. Come on. For those of you that want to take your next step in this community of faith that maybe you've been coming for a while. and Maybe you're like, man, I, I want to join this place called Bull. I want to be part of this movement right after church. Down the hall, you'll see a sign, there's growth track, there's pizza. I will lead the class. We'll help you discover your why and our church's why. Help you to take your next step in this faith community. And today is groups. Anyone excited for groups? Before we move on, let me just tell you there's two groups that I want everyone to prayerfully consider. If you are one of those people that you've been coming for a while and you raised your hand to receive Christ, I want to encourage you to come to Alpha. So you help explore the, the beginnings of faith. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And maybe you've come to this church as a Christian from another church. We, we want to encourage you to go to Rooted. And these are the first two groups we ask everyone in our community to be a part of. Either Alpha, for those who got saved in our church, and those who are coming from another church, you go to Rooted. and These, are, these, these groups are, 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 are every single semester because we want to help you on your journey of faith. And then on the 16th of July, we are giving away free t shirts. We got cone Ice. It's our annual summer block party. Anyone excited? And this is a, a great opportunity for you to invite your friend. We're trying to manufacture a party during the summer. And uh, I want to continue our collection of talks called Health as Well. Someone say Health as Well. And uh, we've been talking all things mental health. And in week one of this collection of talks, we talked about depression. That statistically speaking, 20% of you. Have depression. You're smiling, but your heart's broken. And then week two, we talked about anxiety, that 60% of Americans, it's the highest in American history, 60% of us have panic attacks, stress, we're overwhelmed with anxiety. And and last we we talked about uh, negative thoughts, the the negative attitude that we all have. 80% of our thoughts on any given day are negative in nature. And 95% of the, the negative thoughts I have today, I thought yesterday. Which means I'm in this crazy cycle, just beating myself up. Today I want to talk to you about a subject that you probably have never heard. I'm telling you, this is the hardest of the four sermons. Uh, a title, a Talk Around Trauma. And I want to show you this book that I, I wanted you to read it. Uh, it. It changed my life. It says, The Body Keeps the Score. Trauma is very different. If I were to punch you in the shoulder, maybe as a buddy, you'd get a bruise for a couple days, and you'd go away. Because that's what happens when you get injured. Trauma is different. Once you're injured with trauma, it stays with you. And I I just believe that almost everyone in this room has experienced some level of trauma, some heartbreak, some setback, some some very painful life event. And you thought because it happened in your childhood, because it happened 10 years ago, you no longer see the bruises, you're done. It's not affecting you. That's not the case at all. Which is why I've been literally been praying and fasting all week long. Because I don't want this talk. This is the most important talk of the whole. I wrote this collection of talks around this talk. Because I don't want this to be a TED talk. I want this to be spiritual heart surgery. I need you to lean in today. It's going to be very heavy at points. I don't want you to tune me out. I need you to lean in. God wants something for you. You're probably asking, well, Pastor Ali, what the heck is trauma? Let me define for you what trauma is. Trauma is a response someone say a response we often think it's the event it's the death it's the abuse maybe it's the date rape it's not that it's what you do after it's how you cope that's what trauma is and it's physical it's spiritual sexual it's all of those things and often you can't you can't see the bruise of trauma you can't do a CT scan or an MRI and feel like, where is it? Can't do a blood test. But I would venture to argue that 90% of the issues in your life, they're symptoms of trauma. Your control issues. Your anger issues. Why you eat when you get anxiety. Why you're a massive procrastinator. Why you cope with sex and drugs. It's so easy to condemn the symptom. I want to speak to the root because I wrote like this, the wounds you can't see hurt as much as the ones you can and those take longer to heal and I'm hoping that God would do something today that you'd maybe walk in one way and walk out another because I don't want you to go through what I went through where I began to share my pain, share my trauma and some naive, happy-go-lucky Christian, you know, Ned Flanders, every church has one. Every sentence is okaly-dokaly. But God works all things, Allie, for the good of those that love him. Yeah, that's true. It's not helpful, though. And I don't want to just give you truth. I want to give you help. Which is why the title of my sermon is simply this, Taking Jesus to Our Trauma. You can bow your heads. I need prayer. God, thank you so much for your presence and goodness. Thank you for your healing work that we can find through Jesus, that by his stripes we can be healed. We pray for you to work through your word and by your spirit transform our lives forever, God. God, allow us to become self-aware to the pain that we don't even see. We ask this all in Jesus' name. We honor you. We praise you if you believe it. Everyone said? Come on, everyone said? Amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Come on. Here. If you're new to bold, our church is a loud church. Amen? Our tribe? One more time. Our tribe? Come on. That's, we're just loud. Get used to it. Uh, maybe if you grew up in the 80s but like me, the greatest generation, you'll understand. Uh, we didn't get eighth place trophies like some of you young kids. My generation was so competitive, we would throw away our second place trophy because that's the first loser. We were different. When we got, we scraped our knees, we would, the attitude was just rub some dirt on it, get over it. If it didn't kill you, it made you stronger. And so when I first heard trauma, even as a pastor, I was like, trauma, shwarma. I love hummus on my shwarma. Like, right. That was my attitude towards like, come on. Like, what are you talking about? Like, just get over it, bro. And I remember that was the attitude in high school, even like that just got ingrained in me before I came to church and. Some of you you never played sports, but that's your attitude towards pain and trauma. Like, it's gone. It happened five years ago. Get over it. I remember in high school, we were playing baseball, and I was my junior year, and the bases were loaded, and the game was tied, and my teammate was up to to, to plate, and the opposing pitcher was throwing gas. Now, this is not the Major League Baseball. 85 miles an hour in high school is gas, bro. 80 miles an hour, and you can literally hear the ball zooming by, like a tire popping. 85, that thing's going to leave a bruise for two weeks. And this pitcher was wild. And I remember he threw a pitch inside, and my friend scooted back. And went right. it would have hit him right in the square in the back. And my coach lost his mind. We ended up winning the game, but after the game, he berated him, questioned his manhood. How dare you? What, what, what's wrong with you? He's like, Coach, it's going to hurt. Soon as he said that, it was over. The next day at practice, all of us took 25 baseballs in the back. Because <laughs> he needed to get the weakness out, right? Because there's no crying, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and that's often your attitude towards trauma. Oh yeah, my dad used to hit me on lift, but I'm good. Yeah, I, I know my uncle touched me and he shouldn't have, but I'm strong. I know my dad was an alcoholic, but that didn't affect me. And you treat trauma like like some bruise. And what I want to do is I want to show you the impact of trauma and how it affects you. And I want to show you a guy in the Bible who actually went through it and how he processed it biblically. When you're ready, someone someone say, I'm ready. ready. I need to show you what trauma is. Trauma is is a degree. There's a spectrum. of, uh, There's three types of trauma. The trauma, there's acute, chronic, and complex. And I... Uh, I, I didn't come up with these definitions. These come out of the book, The, the Body Keeps a Score, and I read several books on trauma, and that one was the best one, by the way. And uh, Acute trauma is defined like this. It's a response to a one-time traumatic event. It's, maybe you were in a car accident, and now from that moment on, you don't trust anyone driving. <laughs> maybe it was that one time when you were in high school, your, your mom and dad got divorced, and from that point on, life has just been uneasy. Maybe it was a boyfriend and, who took advantage of you when you drank too much and, and he just used you. Maybe, maybe it, was, it was the one time your, your teacher in school said, you're stupid. And it was a one-time event that was painful. And it's lasted years later. And you still remember. It's a core memory. And you think it doesn't hurt you. You think it doesn't affect you. But it was an acute trauma because it happened one time. Chronic trauma is different. Chronic trauma is defined as a long-term response from prolonged or repeated. This is the this is the dad who's an alcoholic and beats you through childhood. This is the kid who's bullied all through junior high and high school. This is the kid who, or the wife who is sexually abused in her entire marriage, verbally abused. And it's not a one-time abuse. It's this prolonged thing that affects you. And it does more damage, actually. This is the the, the kid who's exposed to his dad pornography and now he's 20 and he's still looking he's been looking for 10 years and this is the kid in high school who maybe just smoked weed one time and got addicted now it's now it's 10 15 years later and it's just part of his life it's it's chronic it's part of his life and the last one is is probably the most damaging is what i call complex this is where it's not just one painful thing it's multiple your dad walked out and your mom beats you you're you're living in poverty and your husband cheats on you. It's it's extremely painful and each one affects you differently and trauma changes you. It changes your perspective. You may not see it, but you go with you. You, the, The problem of trauma is that even after the event, you still carry it. And I remember... Or what I want to do is I want to share some of my trauma. And you may hear it and be like, my life was more painful. And others of you may hear it and go, whoa, that, that, was, that was way worse than anything I experienced. And the goal, my, as my therapist says, is not to compare trauma. It's just bring it to Jesus. In my home, I, I would describe what I had as chronic trauma. My dad was very verbally and physically abusive. And it, it's hard enough to get beat by your dad. It's, it's even harder to see him do it to your sister and even worse, unfortunately, to see him do that to your mom. It's hard to see someone you love hurt people you love. And in the 80s and 90s, we, we didn't have, like, dial-up internet. We had dial-up internet. This is, like, 1999 or 1991. Like, there was no AOL, right? There wasn't even Wi-Fi. Some of you kids, your Gen Zers, we, God bless your spoiled heart. We love you. <laughs> you push a button and you see someone's face across the world. When I was a kid growing up, you had two options to make a long-distance phone call. You dialed zero to the operator. It was like a $200,000 call. You needed to take a 20-year loan on that thing. Or you had this thing called a calling card. Anyone remember these calling cards? Yeah, it's the greatest generation right there, we know. And you had to dial this 20-digit number. Then you had to flip the card over and dial the PIN number to get access to the credits. Then, this is crazy, then you had to dial the number that you wanted to actually call, and if you dialed one number wrong, you had to start all over. (laughs) Some of us have trauma from the calling cards, right? And so my dad's calling Iran, and uh, the the problem with calling cards is you had, like, a set amount of time, and it didn't, like, there was no, like, verbal, you have two minutes. The call just dropped when it was done. So my dad's on the phone talking to his relatives, and he goes to my mom and says, "Hey, hey, they want to talk to you. Something happened in that exchange. From the time my dad was talking to the time my mom grabbed it, the phone dropped. And my dad did not believe my mom. He's like, you hung up. And what escalated from a small fight into the probably the biggest fight I've seen my parents have to the point where I can't explain it, but fear, which I always had as a kid growing up, became anger. And I literally had to step in between my mom and dad to stop him from hitting her. I remember him grabbing me, throwing me across the room, almost like a ragdoll, because he's so much bigger than me. And he was embarrassed, because now we're both on the ground. And he realizes he's lost his control, and he leaves the room. The next day, I'm in school, and the principal calls me to the office. And there's a therapist there, and they like, how was yesterday? It was great. How was your day? (laughs) Right? I knew exactly what they wanted. And I knew at the same time, even as a nine-year-old kid, if I told the truth, life would be more painful if I just lied. I remember coming home, my mom picked me up, and I was so proud. Mom, I protected you. I I didn't tell them what happened. And that was one of, I would say, many traumatic events where I couldn't process sadness anymore, and anger just became normal for me, became my primary emotion. And I I wonder for many of you, what happened in your childhood? What happened in your past? It doesn't have to just be your childhood. Maybe it happened when you were in college. Some of you don't trust people. You don't trust God because of what happened. Some of you are so fearful of giving God money because of the poverty that you live in. It's not greed that you withhold. It's fear. Some of you, you have to control everything. You always have to be in control. And You never ask the question, why am I like this? Some of you, it doesn't matter what the scale says, you will always feel fat. I wonder why. And in The Body Keeps a Score, he says that 90% of what we try to deal with in our culture, in the medical industry, is just symptoms of deeper issues. And the question I want to ask all of you is, how do we heal from our trauma? How, How do we do this? And I want to show you through the scriptures and... Man, I, I've been a Christian for almost 20 years. I never saw it until I studied for this sermon. Because the guy that has the most trauma, not named Jesus, literally wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This man is the greatest apostle that ever lived. He, he helped more people become Christian than probably anyone other than Jesus. And yet this guy experienced acute, chronic, and complex trauma. But he got healed from it. Even his salvation. Man, I remember my salvation. It was June 4th, Tuesday, June 14th. I was on my hands and knees in my apartment. You know, the sun's setting. There's birds chirping. Michael W. Smith. And you know, I'm crying. It's like a freaking Hallmark card. Crying, oh, Jesus. And I get up and I'm a different person. Paul, that was not his experience. It's like a WWF wrestling scene. He's on a horse going to Damascus. And he's got papers because he can kill anyone who claims they're Christian. This is like Osama bin Laden becoming a Christian. And the Bible says that lightning flashed and he fell off. Have you ever flashed a light bulb at someone? They never fall over. Unless you have like a lightning. Like theologians think lightning struck him. Imagine God striking you with lightning. I love you. (laughs) And watch what it says in Acts chapter 9. As he, he being Paul, entered Damascus on his journey. Suddenly, someone say suddenly. Suddenly. It's one of my favorite preacher words. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. It wasn't a normal light because he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to blind you for three days, and then someone's going to pray for you, and then you'll be good. He literally just knocks him out, blinds him, and walks away and goes, Adios, I'll be back. What kind of God does that? Think how traumatic this is. Imagine being blind for three days because God hit you with lightning. Think how traumatic that would have been. And then this, Christ, this killer of Christians becomes a killer Christian preacher. Osama bin Laden becomes church planner. He, the guy who kills Christians is now making Christians. And you think, oh, all the pain, all the suffering's over. He got a six-figure job, got a beautiful hot wife, kids, a dog, a white picket fence. Arr. Suffering, pain, persecution, not just for a day, but for the, literally for the rest of his life. Over and over and over again. And yet this man is not bitter at all. This man didn't cope by smoking weed and trying to drink his problems away. He didn't become bitter either. Oh, these stupid non-believers. I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. His heart of love kept growing, even though he experienced more and more pain. I want to challenge you. What have you experienced that you excuse your anger? You excuse your behavior because of what you experienced. You don't know what I went through. And God doesn't want you to be like that anymore. And maybe Paul's story will help you find your healing. And I want to show you this map. This map is amazing because this is all the places in the New Testament where literally Paul had to run out of town. Like one time my wife and I had to run out of a restaurant because we walk in with our kids. We're there with another friend and literally we're sitting down for 10, 15 minutes and they're not serving us. Other people are being served. And it it was obvious we weren't white enough. I'm just going to be very honest with you. Didn't get offended. Didn't like flip the tables. We just said, you know what? We're going to walk out. That's not persecution, by the way. Persecution is you share your faith and someone holds a gun to you. That's what Paul, look at all the cities this dude had to run for his life. You would think he'd quit after the first one. Some of you shared your faith once, were rejected, and you never did it again. Look how many cities this man went to. And yet he wasn't bitter. Didn't let his life be defined by his pain. By his trauma, he kept going, even until his last breath. So how do we get healed? Three things. You gotta, I want you to write these down. Number one, we process the pain of our trauma. you got to acknowledge it. Some of you, you're never going to get healed if you deny it never happened. You suppress it. You, you ignore the pain. That, didn't, it, that wasn't that big of a deal. No, you got you to name it. You were abused. You were raped. You were abandoned. And some of you Gen Zers, God bless you, your boss correcting you is not abuse, okay? Your boss holding you accountable to show up on time, that's not, that's not trauma. Someone disagreeing with you online, I'm sorry that you can't handle it. That ain't trauma. That's just you being a baby. Trauma is real. And often we think, if I just ignore it, the pain will go away. And that's not the case at all. You'll never get healed if you ignore what happened to you. If you think, I I just won't talk about it. And often the reason why we don't want to is because it's vulnerable to share the abuse we went through, the trauma we went through. And we feel helpless. I wrote down like this, instead of seeking connection, we prioritize protection. We want to hide. We want to pretend as if, I never went through anything. And the very thing that you're not doing is perpetuating the cycle of brokenness. Perpetuating it. I wrote down like this. We don't heal in isolation. We heal in community. In 1 John 1, it says, when you confess your sins to God, you're you're forgiven. Someone say forgiven. It's a very different word when you confess your sins to one another. The Bible uses the word healed. You're literally being changed in community. That yes, I'm being cleansed. I'm being forgiven when I do it to God, but there is something different that happens when I, conf- I need other people. I can't become who God created me to be alone. You need others. We're stronger together. That's why I'm so excited for groups. That's why some of you need to go to Rooted. Some of you need to go to Alpha. Why? Your faith, your marriage, your healing needs it. And the problem that most of us don't realize is you have suppressed it, you ignored it, and I wrote it down like this, it's not on the screen. And the challenge is, if you ignore the pain, the wound is still there. What happens is you go somewhere else to cope. Some of you have gone to sex, some of you have gone to drugs, some of you have gone to being a control freak, some of you have gone to food, some of you like me went to anger, some of you just became perfectionists, some of you became workaholics, what is your response? Because that's what trauma is. It's not the event. It's how you responded. I remember my therapist told me, I think you have trauma, Allie. I'm like, I think you're stupid. I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with you. I've been a pastor for like 15 years. What are you talking about? And she had me read this book, and it began to open my eyes. And I became more and more self-aware to maybe the pain that I'd gone through. And there's this one story that I, to this day, I can't forget, even though I read the book a year ago. It's this story of this woman. She was 300 pounds plus, very obese for the mass majority of her life. And around the age of 30, she got the courage to go to the doctor and say, you know what, I don't want to be this way anymore. Will you help me lose some weight? And she got connected to one of the best nutritionists in the country, amazing doctor who had helped hundreds of other patients. And over the course of 18 months, she lost like almost 8 to 10 pounds a month, got down to 140. It was a complete success used to see this doctor every week. The doctor said, you know what? Now that we've helped you, I need you to come back every six months just to check in. The first time she came back after six months, she had gained all the weight back. And the doctor said, I realized she doesn't have a nutrition problem. So he sent her to a therapist. And it turns out that she had been raped and abused as a nine and 10-year-old. And the only reason her uncle stopped is when she would eat to gain weight and she became undesirable to him. And this doctor who had been helping hundreds, literally, he's the best doctor in the country, hundreds of patients went and looked at the records and began to check and realized 90% of those who were extremely obese had experienced child sexual abuse. We had been treating the symptoms and he realized the, the root problem was trauma. And what triggered it in her Well, she got down to 140, and this boyfriend or this guy at work took her out on a date, and he leaned in to kiss her, and for some reason, she quit her job, never went on a second date with him, and had so much anxiety, she couldn't explain she just kept eating. It's the only thing that would give her comfort, and she didn't know why. Some of you, you get so angry when your kids don't clean their room, and you lose your your top off, and you, you can't even explain why. Some of you, it doesn't matter how much you lose weight, it does not matter what the scale says, you will always feel fat. Some of you, it doesn't matter what's going on in your, it doesn't matter if there's a comma in your bank account, you will never feel secure. My question for you is this, for many of you, the trauma is so deep, you've forgotten why it happened. You don't even know why you do what you do. But you need to process your pain. What was crazy in that same chapter, there was this woman the, the doctors talked about how 90% of the people in the porn industry, the adult film industry, they too had been abused sexually as children. And it's so interesting that with one community who are extremely obese, we, we, they need help. Let's go, let's go help them. There's compassion for them. And the other community, oh, you sinners, you need to repent. It's the same event, but the trauma represented, it comes out differently. Begin to show me as a pastor, man, I got to be more compassionate to the people in my church. It's more than just your anger problem. It's more than just your addiction. It's more than just your control, controlling nature and your greed. There's some trauma that I need to get to, and if you want healing, you got to process it. And that's what Paul did. Watch as he writes, as he communicates, and literally he's processing out loud what he went through. Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Corinthians, chapter eleven. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. He's just kind of bragging about his getting beat up. And been exposed to death again and again. Five times. Someone say five times. times. I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Let me explain this. In Roman culture, if you lash someone 40 times and they died, you'd be charged with murder. So what they would do is they would get you as close to death as possible. And if you died, you're weak. So they do it 40 minus one. This dude got it five times. Five, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. It's a different kind of stone, by the way. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers, in danger from Laker fans. Need to, we need to laugh. There's a lot of heaviness. I need to preach the truth for a second. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often, been, have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's, that's what I would call chronic trauma. You're not alone. God sees the pain you've gone through, and he wants to give you a solution out. And he continues. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Someone say great pressure. pressure. Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Let me just pause. He's literally saying, I don't want to live anymore. Some of you... Life has been so hard, so painful, so abusive that you have thought those thoughts and you've been embarrassed and shameful to even think them. I don't want to live anymore. The guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament had the same thoughts that you did. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human. So that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. But God, someone say, but God. But God. Who raises the dead. Man, Paul, he, he processed his pain. He wrote about his pain. He, he's verbally communicating it. You need to maybe talk to a therapist. Maybe you need to talk to your pastor. Maybe you need to talk to your small group leader. But you need to stop denying the pain. You'll never get healed of what you deny. And then the second thing Paul did was he prayerfully pressed into God with, number two is we prayerfully press into God with our trauma. You got to talk to God about it. You need to pray about it, and dare I say, even complain to God about it. In a moment, Paul's going to talk about what's called a thorn in his flesh. Many theologians, there's the debate: what is this thorn? And some some say it's. You know, Paul, when he was struck by lightning and, and was blinded for three days, well, that, that effect was permanent. He began to lose his eyesight more and more because there are scriptures where it talks about how his eyes are becoming dimmer. And they think, oh, this is a, some physical ailment. Other theologians, other pastors say, no, 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 This is literally a demon that's been chasing him around, tormenting him. Some think who, who are probably married theologians, they think this is his spouse. Didn't land very well. Some are like, Pastor Ali, I'm sitting next to my thorn. point I'm trying to make is everyone in this room has something, some pain some uncomfortable thing in their life that they just can't remove. Your education can't remove it. Your money can't remove it. And as often as you pray, it's still there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, someone say three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. These aren't like three simple prayers like, God, take it away. This is three long seasons of crying out, God, I can't do this. God, I don't have the strength. And he's not blaming God. God, I thought you loved me. How could you let this happen? That, that tone isn't in his prayer. His tone is, God, I don't have the strength. God, I don't have the ability. God, I, don't, I can't do this. Please help me, God. God, I'm, I'm crying out to you. How do I know God's going to hear you? First Peter 5 says, cast your cares and your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's literally, this word cast means to throw him, to give him your pain, to give him your trauma. Don't just give God your praise and worship. Give him your pain. He cares for you. And he continues. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. Someone say, my power this is God speaking to Paul is made perfect in weakness the thing that you and I hate most about the pain is that we discover God's power in that location see you would never know God's a healer until you got sick you would never call him that it's only after sickness that you cry out to God and then you realize he's a healer you never know his resurrection power until your marriage dies you would never call him a redeemer until your life is broken You don't know his power until you're in the pain of trauma. That's what Paul's saying. That that when you pray and you press in, God reveals something about himself that you didn't know. And Paul continues, "That, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And this is my paraphrase, in traumas. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Take it to God. Take it to God. Take it to God. I want to give you a mindset that is going to challenge some of you. It's on the screen. Nothing can change your past. Your prayers won't stop your uncle from who did those things. Won't stop the the abuse your dad had or how dramatic and painful your mom was. It won't change your childhood. Nothing can do that. And at the same exact time, there's another truth. But God can heal your broken heart. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. And and the reason why I'm more confident today, 20 years as a Christian, than I was in the beginning Psalm 34, as I was studying for this collection, talks, says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Someone say brokenhearted. This is a thousand years before Jesus was born. This is the first time in human history that word shows up in literature. There was no such thing as brokenhearted until it showed up in the Bible. God knew you would go through traumatic events and he literally created a word to help you because I know what you're going through. And my solution is not plan B, by the way. bring it to me. Don't pretend it didn't happen. I can heal you. For many of you that are new to church, I'm sorry that we pretend like we have it all together. There's no difference. This room is full of jacked up, messed up people, and one of them has a mic, right? But we worship a God who can heal us. And we invite you to him. And this third point, I'm just going to be very honest with you, is going to piss some of you off because you're not ready to hear it because you have not processed it, you have not prayed through it. So the first time you hear it, you're like, Psh, "That's stupid," but I still want you to write it down. Why? Because they say if you write, note, take notes in church, you're more likely to go to heaven. <laughs> Pastor, what are the percent? 95 more likely to go to percent likely to, go to heaven? And it's this: we pursue purpose. In our trauma. You, you don't agree with that right now, but you will one day. Because of all the things that Paul went through, all the suffering, all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, he didn't become bitter. He didn't become like that neighbor that we're like, oh, we just want to avoid that person. She's always negative, negative Nancy. He became more loving, more compassionate. His heart for people kept growing. And even his prayers were different. Watch what he prays in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Someone say comforts us. He comes to you in your pain. He comes to you in your trauma. He comes to you in your abuse. But there's purpose in it so that we can comfort those in any trouble. He doesn't just help you. He uses you to help others. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also we, our comfort abounds through Christ. Anyone heard of Masterclass? I love those classes. I, there's a class it's by uh, Donald Miller. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz maybe like 15 years ago. Maybe you heard it. He wrote a book five years ago called Story Brand where he talks about how you market your business or, or like a movie. And he talks about how every movie in America has the same plot. The hero had a bad childhood. Then a mentor comes and shows up out of nowhere. And now there's this war, this big problem, and there's a protagonist and an antagonist. And they go back and forth, there's a love interest, and in the end they win. Think Harry Potter, think Star Wars, think Superman. They all had a bad childhood. And then he said something that blew my mind. He said in every movie, the villain and the hero have the same storyline. They both had painful childhoods, but the villain doesn't process his pain and he wants to hurt people. And the hero doesn't want others to go through what he went through. I can't remove the pain, but I'm telling you, if you let God, he'll bring purpose out of it. I wrote it like this your pain becomes your platform. It wasn't that you were just abused by your uncle. You can help others who were abused. I'm sorry your dad beat you, but you can change that for your family so that generational curse ends with you and your children never have to experience what, they, what you went through. I can tell you story after story of people in the, in the family of God. Take Joyce Myers. Anyone know who Joyce Myers is? Her father raped her 200 times. Take Christine Kane. I love her. She's an amazing preacher. Was abandoned by her mom, put up for adoption, her stepdad, abused her for almost a decade. Story after story. But it won't have the same impact because often what we do is you see the person on stage differently than you. So what I need to do is I need to get off the stage and sit with people because even though I'm a pastor, I'm still a people and remind you For maybe nine years, my wife would tell me that I have anger problems. And I would say, you're stupid, (laughs) in a gentle way. Maybe not with those words. And I'd argue with her. And we've been praying. And she became my confidant, and I processed my pain. I began to pray through it and find purpose in it. And my heart's heavy for some of you. because you've been a control freak for decades. You're never satisfied with your weight. You don't trust anyone. You only medicate through weed. Every time you're anxious, you need to take a beer to relax. And my therapist wants me to tell you something because she helped me, and she said like this, God doesn't, Next slide. God won't just heal you. He wants to make you stronger. And I want to say something I said at the beginning, and it's not going to be cliche this time because it's going to make sense. It's Romans chapter 8. For we know that in all things, someone say all all things. The abuse, the trauma, the rape. When you give it to God, He works it for the good of those who love him, who've been called to according to his purpose. And can I do something as a pastor? Can I push you to take your diaper off? Next slide. Your trauma may or may not have been your fault, but pursuing God for healing is your responsibility. I've been praying for you all week that you would lean in to what God wants for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. God, that you do not leave us as orphans. That you do not want us to live in brokenness. Thank you, God, that you're the father of all compassion who comforts us from heaven. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you maybe had some experiences in the past, maybe in your childhood, maybe in your teens or 20s that were extremely painful. Like, man, I've been denying that thing has been affecting me for a long time. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Every eye closed, every head bowed, that's you this morning. That's you. You just need prayer for some traumatic thing. I would love to pray for you. I see your hands. I see your hands. God, I just pray, Lord, for those who want to begin that journey of processing their pain with you. God, tell them that it's not a one-time prayer, but they got to continually, like Paul, press in season after season of coming to you, praying in about their pain. And God, would you heal them, make them stronger, and bring purpose out of it. There are others of you, I need to let you know that If I were to ask you how your relationship with God is doing, you'd say, you don't know. And before we can talk about Paul, we got to talk about Jesus. Because all Paul did was talk about Jesus. And Jesus was abused. You know, Jesus didn't just come as a 33-year-old man and have his throat slit and die for our sin. He was born. And he grew up in poverty. Why would he do that? So he can know what it's like to grow up poor. Sometime in Jesus' childhood, maybe the age of 12 or 13, his father passed away. Why would Jesus grow up like that? Because he wanted to know what it feels like to lose a parent, to grow up in poverty. So that when you bring your pain to him, he goes, I know what that's like. Jesus was rejected from every school. Every rabbinic school rejected Jesus. He had to become a carpenter. lived a sinless and perfect life, and even his closest friend, Judas, betrayed him, because he wants to know what it feels like to be stabbed in the back by his closest friends. There's nothing that you've gone through that Jesus himself hasn't experienced, and he did that so that he could pay for your penalty of sin. Christianity is is about God becoming a man and dying on a cross for our sins. It's not about us being good, It's about us being forgiven. And this forgiveness is being offered to you by Jesus. Maybe the world looks at the way you respond to trauma. They see the we, they see, God sees the little kid who got hurt. and says, I got a solution. I want to heal your heart, but you got to receive my forgiveness. You got to take responsibility for your choices, for your sin. And Jesus died on a cross Take your penalty of sin, but you have to choose to repent. Say, God, I used to live this way. I want to live this way now. I want to follow you. with Every eye closed and every head bowed. If that's you this morning, I want to count to three. I want you to just shoot your hand up. No one's looking. You're not saying yes to me. You're saying yes to the living God, the one who can forgive you, who you can cast your cares upon. One, two three if that's you this morning just shoot your hand up amen i see your hand over here see your hand in the back over there i see your hand over there see your hand over there i want everyone to pray this prayer out loud thank you jesus for leaving heaven for me you lived a sinless life but you also had abuse neglect trauma And you went through that to identify with me. And then you paid for my sin.